Welcome back to Probably About Politics. This episode of 2022 Summer School Special Edition episodes is on sanctions. We're back, baby. School's in for the summer. The sanctions have been lifted on the podcast. We are finally allowed to teach again, (laughs) (laughs) despite uh, not having a license to do so. We got in a little bit of uh, murky water there, but we're back. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. No sanctions (laughs) will keep us down. No sanctions, just potentially, I don't know, asset freezes and tariffs. (laughs) 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 All right, let's get into it. So, so... (laughs) So, sanctions, been in the news, Mm -hmm. right? We're not a news show, but we talk about things that people ask us about, Mm -hmm. or that we ask ourselves about, or that we're inspired to ask questions about. Um, So, we're thinking about what sanctions are. I don't know if we're going to talk about examples of Russia and Ukraine, I guess a little bit. I feel like it'll be hard to avoid it coming up. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. very top of mind. I think it's maybe counterproductive for learning to not talk about the example that everybody knows. So we should probably do that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I know normally we try not to do what the cool kids are doing and just be different, but not to, yeah, don't have to. Hmm. Not to conform. But, okay, so we have these things, sanctions, Mm -hmm. right? We have other things that I mentioned, tariffs, asset freezes, and some things that maybe don't fall into these categories Mm -hmm. um, that you might give examples of. But... Off the bat, do you know the first ever sanction? I don't. No. I, I, no. <laughs> What's the first <laughs> sanction that you do know about? <laughs> uh, I feel like, uh, I, well, I guess it's not like a, it was It was probably a tariff, I guess. I always think of the softwood lumber crisis in like the 2000s between Canada and the U.S. But uh, <laughs> Or there's the, the sanctions against Iran to try and get them to come back to the nuclear uh, discussions about nuclear weapons. Uh, I feel like we hear about them a lot in different ways. Right. So these are like the the first sanctions that you experienced in your life. Yeah. Was the softwood lumber crisis? Okay. Quick example then. What was the softwood lumber crisis? We're going off script here (laughs) right at the start. Oh, now you're asking me to remember the details of the softwood lumber crisis. Uh, It's basically so there's the uh, I won't go super into the details of the software lumber (laughs) crisis. but it's it's uh, I guess I feel like it maybe it didn't happen in the two thousands, but I feel like we're still no. we're still talking about it in the two thousands. But it's so the U.S. Ha- and Canada have a the, are part of the formally the North American Free Trade Agreement, uh, and so it sets the standards for uh, what limitations and controls can be on goods crossing between Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. Um, and then so every so often there will be conflicts that arise in terms of the belief that uh, the like in this case, the Canadian uh, lumber industry is like unfairly subsidizing being su- unfairly subsidized by the federal and provincial government, which gives it a competitive advantage over uh, software lumber coming from the U.S., which then create can create political uh conflict between the two nations it often these sort of free trade agreements become uh election like rallying points to say that you know mexico is giving us an unfair deal even though they signed up for this agreement or canada and we'll stand up to them and and get a better deal on this so and and then so the u.s 
eventually, eventually there was sort of like a, a disagreement over it. There became a tariff, uh, a sense that they were uh, putting uh, unfair tariffs on it. Um, and then there was a, a disagreement between Canada and the U.S. on softwood lumber, which really affected, it ends up, uh, I think, there, the the Wikipedia page says that there were 9,494 direct and indirect jobs lost between 2004 and 2009 because of the uh, softwood lumber dispute. Uh, so it was sort of an ongoing uh, issue. And, and these things pop up uh, in, in trade agreements all the time, like disagreements uh, and belief. And, and, and that is, it's not a sanction, but a tool of living in a, in a free trade system for countries that are trying to support certain industries is to maybe favor them by subsidizing them, which can create conflict if you're in a in a tra- trade agreement with another country um, because it gives an advantage to the domestic product. So uh, in this case, lumber, um, I, the U.S. often is annoyed over our favoring of milk products. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there was also a tariff on aluminum in 2020 from Donald Trump. All right, we're getting ahead of ourselves now. Okay, so this is a good example, Kaylee. I appreciate you bringing up the software lumber crisis because I think it shows that these things, there are different like levels to these things, mm-hmm. right? Um, and some of them, I know that there might be some lumberjacks listening. Uh, <laughs> some of them seem to be slightly less important than others. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just that there are, we sort of think of it, I think, as being like sanctions on Russia for the conflict in Ukraine, but there are like, day-to-day um ways that countries are controlling what uh controlling what is moving across their borders um to Mm -hmm. to the to the benefit of themselves in a diplomatic context and there's a lot of ways of doing that Mm -hmm. you know this just reminded me like the first time that i really realized Mm -hmm. that in like a political context like this like nitty-gritty stuff yeah was like oh well like we want the lumber production to be here or whatever to support like these things was watching like the netflix show house of cards <laughs> yeah and like he's trying to like whip the votes and everything mm. and they're like okay well we want to have like this factory from this company built here and stuff which i feel like is kind of tattling on myself because yeah. that show came out in like 2015 or something, <laughs> right? yeah yeah it's okay it's it's a bit uh <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit unclear like how it works, but when you think about it, it ends up making sense because it, it is the nitty gritty mm-hmm. of of like mm-hmm. oh, you got to make fifty jobs here or else I won't support you on this or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, and like I think we have this idea of like these like politicians are like ideologues who go and they're like we should support whatever or like do this, but it's really much more mundane than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so as you mentioned, there are. Um, many ways that countries control flows of goods and people in and out of their borders um, and um, prop up or diminish certain aspects of those things, Mm -hmm. right? So one of those ways is through these free trade agreements, which what this episode was was originally going to be about, (laughs) and trade agreements between countries. But by, you know, proof by contradiction, we've decided to talk about what happens when those things fall apart Mm -hmm. or kind of the opposite of those things, which are sanctions, tariffs, and different types of actions, disciplinary actions mm-hmm. taken by um, countries. So I guess since we've said it 38 times by my count so far, what is a sanction? So like at, at, at sort of the high level 
uh, it's a restriction on economic or political action that would otherwise happen. So, uh, and usually it's deployed to make, um, uh, usually it's deployed to make a country obey an international law um, or, or, or behave uh, amongst international norms in, in a certain way. Okay. So you say that it has to be in place of something that would normally happen. Mm-hmm. So we were talking before we started recording, right? And we were talking a little bit about how important it is for a relationship to exist mm-hmm. for a sanction to happen. Yeah. Right. So what does that like? What does that mean when it's for an activity that would normally exist? Yeah. So and in in some cases, this a lot of the times we sort of think of that. So there's. It might be the export and import, so anything that is coming... So, for example, if Russia was sending a lot of products to Canada and we said, nope, no more Russian products, that would be a sanction. Um, it's similarly, the export, so if we were sending them to, to Russia as well, um, we would then that would be a sanction. So sanctions can apply to exports and imports. Um, it might apply to travel, so Russians... It's, I guess we're leaning on Russians in this, but okay, Zimbabweans, uh, we could say that people from Zimbabwe cannot come to Canada um, and, and Canadians cannot go to Zimbabwe. That might be a way of, of doing that. It, it depend. I don't know how. Usually uh, you only restrict the coming to your country, not the other way around, um, but then mm-hmm. the country usually restricts you from coming after that. Um, and, and so then there can also be like... Uh, beyond exports and imports there can be like financial um hits so so that would be like the movement of money um so like mm-hmm. in a lot of uh, cases like it, uh, uh uh you might be say an iranian family living in canada and you might want to send money to your family that lives in iran but you can't do that now because there's a pro- prohibition on financial um transactions between the two countries um so that's mm-hmm. uh, sort of another one but so there are a lot of different areas but any sort of and because we live in such a globalized world any sort of transaction or movement of goods that you can sort of think of if if it originates from say canada to the country that they are sanctioning uh it can be a sanction okay we keep talking about russia and canada here a little bit um this small tidbit might not be true um but at the end of the cold war from what I was told by like a grade 11 history teacher mm-hmm. was that the like propellers in the Maktaquak dam were made in the Soviet Union. Okay. And that was like a part of like bridging tra- between like the two countries again. Yeah. Was like the supply of these like important. Yeah. Um, infrastructural parts. I mean that. So, like, we'll get uh, probably more into this as we go. But that's like that's sort of the flip side of sanctions is the eventual like releasing of sanctions and then targeted um, support uh, of to to help them rebuild from that is like a really crucial sort of. Um, we'll talk about sanctions. You know, they're a tool of diplomacy, and a, and then like how can you um, encourage the country to continue to go in the direction you want, and that might me be. Well, I don't know if this is true, but that might be building those those uh, <laughs> components of the dam in, in in that area. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea if that is true. I th- I feel like it can't be right because the uh, Nakatomi is way too old for that. 
Well, I mean, it, <laughs> it is constantly under construction. It, it would not sh- shock me, but true, um, true. There could have been like new impellers built yeah in, in the 90s and it wouldn't have had to be the end of the cold like i think so the other thing is like um it wouldn't have had to happen at the end of the sanctions sometimes even within the the times of tension there will be these sorts of bridges like i think we definitely saw that in the cold war a lot where you'd see um i think ronald reagan went to the soviet union had meetings there and things might uh quote unquote cool down a bit and mm. and something might start happening um but then it might shut down again um, which has happened both in the Cold War. We've seen it happen in Iran as uh, it, when Iran agrees to go to the table for discussions on, on nuclear weapons again yeah. and those sorts of things. Um, so it, it's not like a permanent state. It is sort of fluctuating. I think you provided with us with a beautiful metaphor, Kaylee, speaking of <laughs> dams and bridges, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because we have a dam yeah. which sometimes stops the flow, yeah. but then the dam also serves as a bridge Mm -hmm. right yeah look at that but also (laughs) it sucks going across the dam as a bridge because it's always under it's always like yeah it might not (laughs) so it's always one lane yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay okay so we (laughs) so we have what sanctions are right yeah um so do you want to go over a little bit i guess like what's below a sanction what's above a sanction between like what like an embargo is or like maybe like illegal versions of that, like blockades, and then what's less than that, like a tariff? Yeah, so embargo is just kind of, it's just more comprehensive a statement, I guess. It's like a complete, <laughs> a, no, uh, a commercial, a barrier that prevents commerce or trade with a single nation um, or, or a group of nations. Um, a a mm. famous example of a bar- embargo would be the United States and Cuba. Uh, so there is a, there was for a very long long time there was an embargo on Cuba so for Americans so Americans couldn't legally travel to uh, Cuba they couldn't buy Cuban goods etc and then the reverse was in theory true Cubans couldn't come to the United States or have American goods um, and so that was an embargo um, but it's just it's just a bit more it just tells you that nothing is happening between these two countries rather than Mm -hmm. like a sanction would be on individual uh components i guess and then also sometimes people say that certain sanctions are illegal sanctions like some country might report that yeah um and there are actual examples of illegal sanctions like blockades that exist so you can totally stop um you can stop like accepting goods at your ports Mm -hmm. right but that is different than a blockade where you stop the flow of goods to other people's yeah. ports. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, there were there was still examples of this too, right? Uh, with Russia, where there was like the offloading of certain mm-hmm. Russian ships um, in like Northern Europe. Uh, and then there was like unions that were specifically targeting certain ships mm-hmm. and not unloading them. And then those ships were going to different countries to unload like i think this is specifically sweden and then um the netherlands mm-hmm. um and then there was a whole thing with that um but anyway yeah so t- you can you can stop people from coming to you um but you can't stop people from going to other people yes um that would be an illegal blockade and i guess blockades seem to be way more popular from what i was reading in like world war one that was like very popular yeah i think back, back in the day <laughs> i think uh, and part of that is i think in in certain ways you you do walk the line of of war crimes sometimes because uh, like a blockade could prevent 
Um, I think when we were talking about uh, Ethiopia and Eritrea, we the the movement of health services and and uh, mm. and supplies to to support civilians that would be a, a blockade as well, and and they can be quite dangerous, I guess, in terms of um, protecting civilians and. Um, and, 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 and as we'll discuss, like sanctions can be quite punishing, uh, but they're, they should probably exist within, uh, the legal norms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then like less than that is these, I guess we've kind of talked about it a little bit already with like the softwood lumber and stuff, but tariffs are yeah. basically, you still have those flow of goods and services back and forth, but they just cost more money and they typically like pressure a country's signature good yeah or something right like specifically with canada right mm-hmm. there was like softwood lumber i feel like canada is known for making that there could yeah. be some sort of maple syrup tariff someday you know yeah so so and i guess it's important to note like these are definitely so there are things that tariffs can be kind of used as a, a poke uh, to try and get a country to move one way or the other or something like that but it's reasonable to also note like um for the united states they would be very opposed they they generally are very opposed to things like tariffs and quotas um, and standards and these sorts of things. But like for uh, the U S which is so dominant in the international market, other countries um, in order to protect their goods and services and allow them to grow and succeed um, often feel pressure to introduce things like tariffs or quota quotas, which are sort of limitations on the number of goods that can come in. Um, Additionally, like there are also just standards, which would just mean like safety levels that are required. So, uh, for example, the agreement with the EU that Canada, the trade agreement with the EU required certain levels of uh, quality and safety that the EU has that Canada didn't necessarily have. And then just like another one that was pointed out was like, uh, there's also things like uh, counter trade requirements, which means that like... uh, if you if the if I'm gonna purchase something from your country, you'd have to purchase something from my country to balance it out. And these are also so right. these are sort of seen as they can be framed as punishments, and sometimes they are being used as punishments. But they're also uh, just like tools that countries sometimes need uh, to support their own domestic economy in a globalized competitive market. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, but. We also wanted to talk a little bit about some of like the ramifications that can happen mm-hmm. from uh, sanctions, right? Because I think people think about them um, as a, and they definitely are like a um, less intense form of punishing a country than like going to war, which is kind of what happened before sanctions, yeah. I guess, from what <laughs> I was reading, um, used to be more of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sanctions are not without cost to um, just the normal people of a country that are not leaders, too, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's 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 uh yeah it's worth noting like yeah how sanctions have become this tool of diplomacy that countries are now using, um, but and and how you use that tool can be very specific. So as as we talked about, there are different types of sanctions um, that you can use. You might use all of them, or you might use one or two of them because you know that that will push. Um, either the leaders of the country or the people of that country uh, to push for the direction that you want them to go in. Um, but yeah, there, there's, uh, I, I, there are sort of targeted sanctions, which would be like looking at specific leaders uh, or specific people within the country um, rather than affecting everybody. But then there are also more like broad sanctions, which would look at 
all of the affect the whole country. So not importing goods, not exporting goods to that uh, from that country, um, and those sorts of things would affect everybody. Um, and so it's all about how you employ them, and countries make choices about how to do that to most effectively meet the situation that they're to meet the end goal that they're trying to to reach. Mm -hmm. So not only do these sanctions, they can be at different levels, right? Be put Mm -hmm. on different groups, um, but also different organizational hierarchies can impose sanctions. Mm -hmm. Um, So like all the way from international, which uh, typically have to have um, more assent to them Mm -hmm. um, unilaterally by countries or smaller groups of countries. Um, And then even... Uh, specifically uh, states and provinces within Mm -hmm. a country. Um, And then companies, individual companies can totally stop doing business places. Um, Do you know of examples of countries or provinces? I guess this definitely does exist, right? Within the same country. Because like there's there's like quotas and stuff specifically on alcohol production Mm -hmm. a lot, right? In Canada, at least I know of that. Yeah. So like, uh, I guess, uh, A good example of how, to me, a good example of how sanctions might happen at different levels uh, would be thinking about, um, to me, would be thinking about Israel-Palestine. So, like, even at an individual level, like, uh, there are things like divestment campaigns, and that's a sanction. Mm -hmm. But that's just a group of individuals who are saying we will not invest in products that come from Israel because we disagree with um, what they are doing to Palestinians. Um, But then similarly... Uh, like a business might choose as well to not engage in business with that country for that those actions um, and and for the the practices of say the Israeli government uh, towards Palestinians and then so but this and this is useful because if you have something like say Canada who has uh, a relationship with Israel so they will not impose sanctions on Israel based on the current political situation. You might have, though, a province that elects a provincial leader that says that we will not uh, be encouraging uh, economic relations or we will not uh, receive import-exports at at the level that they control. They might choose to do that Mm -hmm. and then so forth with businesses and then, as I said, individual disinvestment. Um, So that's kind of how that can be useful. Um, And it's, but it obviously gets harder to control and like it's much more but it would be very impactful if say california which is a huge state in the united states said that we are not going to accept investment as a sanction or financial uh trade between uh say in this case israel and california anymore which is it it wouldn't happen Mm -hmm. this is just an example (laughs) but that would be that would be a big deal that's still very impactful california is as Mm -hmm. has the same population as canada so Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be wild, like saying that. And then it's like, because I feel like that could totally throw like international cooperation just a wrench, right? Yeah. Like if a a Canadian province like elected a premier who just like went off script. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just way off book. And uh, yeah, Yeah. like what does, does the, um, does the federal government, um, at least in Canada's would, differ like country to country Mm -hmm. like how do those sanctions at like a provincial or a state level interact with like a federal level like in like would it be typical for a premier or a a, a governor to like 
go to the federal level and say, hey, I'm going to do this mm. unless you give me these things? Um, or is it, or do they have just way less power than that? Well, so you have to. Unless you're California. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to kind of look at it at what they have power over. So like the distinct role, there's a distinct role between the federal and the provincial government in Canada. Um, I, mm. it, I, my awareness is to say, would be to say that I don't think provinces do this very often. Um, especially mm. given that, again, I think we've talked about it before, but like the federal government in say like a province, like New Brunswick provides significant subsidies to education and healthcare. So they do have a lot mm. of strings they can pull in terms of the willingness of a provincial leader to necessarily do it. Mm. But I think you might see it more in, uh, in the U S where states are much more autonomous from the federal government and have a lot of control and have independent, uh, like in, in most states will have an independent relationship with Canada, like the federal government mm-hmm. and their neighboring bordering provin- provinces, right? So they yes. might make an independent choice about how they trade uh, between the two countries, mm-hmm. for example. And the rifts between these different levels of government, right, were, were, I think we have a number of examples here, how the levels of government dis disagreed mm-hmm. specifically during the Trump administration, yeah. right? So we have these tariffs that the Trump administration put on to Canadian aluminum and they put on Germany, right? Mm-hmm. And also at the same time, I remember there was a lot of trade going back and forth and negotiation between um, Christian Freeland specifically mm-hmm. with governors yeah. at the state level in the, in the U.S. just like going because it doesn't really need the federal government except for these free trade agreements. Yeah large um agreements um but at the, at the smaller level these things don't really need the federal government's approval mm-hmm. typically yeah and, and i think uh like the other component of this i think is, is also useful to think about is businesses they can also choose to do this and can have in some ways as much impact as a state or maybe even a country depending on the scale of uh of it uh but like if a country uh, if a company like Apple, say, decided to pull all of its production out of China, that would be a significant, as a, as a form of sanction, that would be a significant impact on that country. Um, when you see countries, like, or when you see companies like Facebook, which has actively happened, Facebook, uh, I think McDonald's is pulling all of its re- restaurants out of Russia. Those are like, mm-hmm. those are big impacts, both economically, but like also on in Russian citizens, right? Like if they can't get a visa card, how do they form uh financial transactions anymore independent regardless mm-hmm. of if a, this d- didn't require a country to do that right so it, it it is important to know the power that these different levels have to do this and how significant the say like a business's power could be in implementing sanctions on your life <laughs> so this kind of brings us to what we're going to talk about next right is that for and it plays interestingly with what you just said that really any group or any small group can do these things right but for these things to really work everyone has to be on board mm-hmm. because burger king and kfc still exist in russia <laughs> and so if you want a chicken sandwich or a hamburger mm-hmm. um you can go to any of these other any of these other businesses right so i mean there might be just different calculus involved mm-hmm. between these different companies and mcdonald's weighed the pr backlash differently right because i mean especially from from a corporation point of view it's just whether or not they can 
find profit for their shareholders, right? They're yeah, just yeah. Obligated to do so. Um, but at a, at, a, at a higher level, I think what we see with um, like the country level or the national level is having to get everybody on board and having these UN level sanctions be like totally different than national level sanctions mm-hmm. and how the rift between the US, not that the US is no longer like definitely the world's superpower mm-hmm. um but from like economic from an economic st- standpoint the individual net worth average of the Amer- of an american is much higher than that of an average um person in china um but on the uh national scale the economies are similar in size now and we see like these kind of failures of sanctions maybe not failures of sanctions but even like for example with north korea right mm-hmm. basically the majority of all countries in the world basically totally embargoing mm-hmm. North Korea um, having and them having like a very close relationship with China kind of undermines those those sanctions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sanctions are always like I think it's it's as much a calculation as whether or not you're like armed con- you, you're going to go into armed conflict here because to, to just be too fast with it is has a risk. Uh, I think certainly uh, as you were saying like the u.s is certainly a superpower uh a main, one of the main superpowers of the world but it is much the world is much more dynamic in that way now um and by sanctioning say iran or north korea for example you do uh, allow them to either learn to live without whatever the u.s is providing them um and mm-hmm. or uh become closer to countries who are still who are are looking to gain that power and influence um, like say China or Russia, um, and will pro- will still provide them uh, resources and and services, um, because you know China has financial transaction systems, social media networks, etc. So if if they're willing to still provide them, then then the effect of uh, halting financial transactions between the U.S. and country X is less effective. Um, two interesting points. The um self-sufficiency and limited trade is called autarky Mm -hmm. which is a word that i learned in researching (laughs) sanctions (laughs) a-u-t-a-r-k-y is the characteristic of self-sufficiency usually applied to societies communities Mm -hmm. states and their economic systems so if you and this specifically leads to russia and the ussr right Mm -hmm. because there is all of these economic sanctions and embargoes with them during the cold war Mm -hmm. and now there exist two and only two gps systems yeah in the world right and one of them is owned by the united states which is called gps and the other is owned by russia which i don't know the name of <laughs> <laughs> um and so these things are kind of like remnants of these um previous sanctions right mm-hmm. and now if i mean like even something as ubiquitous to us as like gps services on your phone is not available mm-hmm. depending where you are in the world because your country does not um, participate at that level with the United States. Mm -hmm. You just don't have access to it. Um, So this is kind of, I guess, our our next points were, you know, what what can you try to accomplish with sanctions um, and retaliation, right? And so part of what you can try to accomplish can be undermined by the fact that the country that you're sanctioning can one have relationships with other countries or two just get along fine on their own yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and so i think that's that's it's those are important consequences and i think what uh 
what we, were, we talked a bit about this beforehand, but yeah, it's important to look at sanctions as a tool of a part of a larger plan. So a larger policy approach uh, to what you're trying to accomplish. Um, and so, so it's like definitely what you, when you're putting them in place, you want to say like, how, what do you want the outcome to be? So uh, I watched, I was watching a video about the, with uh, Belarus, uh, there, there have long been sanctions and they haven't been terribly effective in overthrowing uh, the leadership there, which we have covered previously, uh, the election <laughs> of Alexander Lukashenko. Uh, and, and so, so what did, in employing those, the, they have a relatively close relationship with uh, China and Russia who are both willing to keep supporting him. So, and they have also been able to become more independent. Um, so it's definitely about seeing how universal, you, how universal can you be, make those sanctions? Who can you get on board and are they powerful enough to make that have an impact? Um, and then also mm-hmm. determining like, what are you trying to do here? Like, are you trying to show like sometimes you can induce the overthrow of a government, but I, I think that's not actually usually going to be the outcome of sanctions as mm-hmm. a broader approach, but sometimes sanctions are just used to show solidarity um, or, mm-hmm. or help to push towards democracy uh, in, in a way. And so like having these sort of goals and then how are you going to support those goals beyond sanctions is is sort of like the key to success, I think. And like sanctions, I think, ideally would be short-term, right? Because they do cause pain to the country doing them yeah. too, right? Um, so like, exa- for example, like if Russia decided to completely cut off um, oil supply, oil and gas supply to Germany, mm-hmm. that would strongly impact both Germany and Russia, yeah. right? Like it's not really a tenable thing necessarily to be able to do or to do long-term. Yeah. Um, but also like, yeah, examples of, of short-term or not, I guess not short-term uh, <laughs> sanctions, but sanctions that were meant to be reversible and fluid, right? Where the, uh, was the Iran deal, right? Mm-hmm. Was that like basically with different levels of cooperation, these different things can happen and these things will not be put on you anymore. If these different things happen and you continue to move forward or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not necessarily even huge things like overthrowing a government or anything, but it's just getting, you know, a country to stop um, on a smaller scale, which was just tariffs, but supplying or paying so much for a softwood lumber. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can have these retaliation effects, right? But also, you're talking about having everybody on board. But I think we're going to close with the fact that rather than having everybody on board to do the sanction, mm-hmm. it's also different to have everybody on board with who you're sanctioning, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you could sanction everybody. And if you sanction everybody, it kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you're looking for these really big effects, maybe that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But also, you're really potentially harming um, a ton of people right mm-hmm. just like the everyday guy trying to go get a mcdonald's burger yeah uh this guy's got a worse life now um but also maybe because he has less access to healthcare because he has less money mm-hmm. because of these economic sanctions um yeah. so there's a difference between sanctioning everybody the entire country by just stopping imports or exports or like access to um money mm-hmm. right like just totally freezing the assets of like a central bank or whatever um but also these kind of i feel like really have been in the in like front of mind recently with um the russia special operation Mm -hmm. um 
is like the specific and i guess this works really well in oligar in oligarchies is the specific targeted sanctions on individuals mm -hmm. yeah where there are a lot of rich individuals who control a lot of major industries and then can wield that power um to influence the direction of things uh and and yeah and at this point you're hitting yeah, when you, you hitting the pain points of specific individuals can be uh, a really useful way of of undermining the country, especially as you're saying in in a country like Russia where there's an oligarchy. Uh, say you might take away their whole soccer team uh, and say they can't yes. have uh, the profits of the sale, <laughs> um, and or their uh, or their many boats and houses that they have around the world, and and say that they can't travel well because in this case many of the rich. People in countries that are oligarchies have their children going to school in the U.S. or uh, Canada or the U.K., these sort of uh, uh, countries uh, with sort of prized academic systems, for example. And these can really hit uh, in a way that avoids causing damage to people who are not responsible. Um, but it doesn't, it's not always necessarily the, uh, the, the, a tool that will work um, in, in some situations you you want to be you need to undermine the whole economy and and it does it's again it's a weighing the cost uh, of that for the people as well like uh, if you think about in a situation uh, i think russia is a good example is like by uh because there's a mix in russia of targeted and broader uh sanctions uh, for sure but it does give the tools to the to the leaders uh in in autocratic regimes to say it's us against them and they are unfairly persecuting you and punishing you. Um, and and mm -hmm. when, yeah, when belts start to tighten and things get a lot harder, that's probably a lot easier to do. And that could really defeat the purpose of undermining a whole economy uh, and mm -hmm. country. Yeah. Like specifically these targeted sanctions, right? It's even harder to have everybody on board with that. Yeah. Right. Because like you're just a specific individual. Great example is that Kim Jong-un went to school in Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i guess like <laughs> like uh to me the the useful note to end on i guess is that sanctions you gotta have a plan for afterwards so what are you gonna do yeah. you know like i ultimately um you know the eu america uh canada we're gonna need to support a country after you you need to have a plan for how how do you support the continued building of a democracy because I think to tie into some elections that we've talked about countries that are trying to build democracies after they've overthrown it, overthrown the leader that you, you were pushing them to overthrow can have a hard time doing that. And that's can mm. be also a way, a place where cooperation and solidarity um, on the goals falls apart. We get, can get a bit mm. stuck on the sanctioning sanctions by their very nature specifically are quite destabilizing mm -hmm. measures. Um, and so if you don't have a plan, um, you don't really have a way to control the outcome. Yeah. Um, but we do have a plan and we do have something to do after. Yeah. And so this is the end <laughs> of the episode on sanctions by probably about politics. Um, this is uh, the first of two uh, special edition episodes mm -hmm. coming out this summer. The second will be a exceptionally long an important uh, and well-researched episode on <laughs> just the entire history of South America. God, you made it worse. Listen, thank you for listening to Probably About Politics. 
um, regular episodes out on the second Monday of every month. Um, so find us, find us there uh, for another election coming up. Um, but that's it for this episode. We love you. We love you.